Hi everyone, I'm Dee. And I'm Alex. And together we're DNA. And you're listening to the DNA of Mindful Relationships podcast. How do you know when it's time to seek outside help for yourself or your relationship? Um, could that be perhaps when you come home and find your whole place has been emptied out by your partner? Perhaps? In this episode, we'll be talking about help-seeking behavior. So how do you know you need to seek help outside of your friends and family? Uh, Are you talking about for my relationship? For anything, for any reason. So people often leave um, seeking help to the last minute, of course. We talked about that in a previous episode. Um, they, they, They wait and they wait and they hope that things get better without a lot of I don't know, intervention. So I guess for me, the answer would be when you either feel overwhelmed or you feel that everything that you've tried is not going anywhere, I guess. Yeah, so there there are a few key kind of elements of knowing when it's time to seek help. And I've just listed a few of them here. So I thought we could talk about that today. Um, I think people are a little bit scared of uh, going outside of their relationship or seeing a professional, or if they're not scared, they um, attribute a a meaning to it that is kind of negative, like they can't sort out their own problems, therefore, you know, something is really, really, really bad. And would that be harder amongst men, not being able to solve it themselves as men are the problem solvers? Yeah, yeah, for anyone that's a bit of a fix-it person... Seeking help outside of their small circle of friends um, can be a challenge for them, and it may it may come across as uh, something um, that a reflection on them that they're inadequate and they can't solve it for themselves. And yes, you're right, Alex. Often it's men that tend to have that fix it behavior. I can do this. Uh, myself, or we can solve this ourselves, and it's not always possible. And beyond the gender issue, is it the fact that, hey, uh, there's either an inadequacy that we can't solve it ourselves, there's also why are we making this public or airing our dirty laundry rather than keeping it within, and is it also about... Um, do we have a problem that if we take it to someone outside, the result might be our relationship is doomed? Yes. So it's kind of like if we talk about it, it will make it worse or it will make it real Mm. or it might be worse than what we thought. And the thing is that if you talk about it and seek help, you're actually confronting the issue. And we can't change what we don't acknowledge. So acknowledging that there is an issue is is always the first step in solving any problem. But I think um, these days, I think people are less likely to worry about airing their dirty laundry. It's definitely an issue that uh, we had in the past, maybe past generations, uh, where 
talking to people outside of your own family about your problems was, um, you know, revealing secrets about your family that you shouldn't be revealing. And, you know, now, and particularly, you know, in, in the United States with people seeing therapists and there are therapists on TV and YouTube and all over the place and podcasts like ours, um, people are much more comfortable with opening up and, and talking about their problems. Well, there was a time when it was uh, completely taboo to tell anyone you've been seeking uh, therapy, but I think probably from about the 80s, 90s onwards, it became a thing. Hey, I talked to my therapist, my therapist said this, my therapist yep. said that, my therapist is like my best friend. Yeah, and in that accent too. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, if you think back to uh, previous generations, we were much more uh, family-focused and neighbourly um, and we had networks of um, our families, the neighbours and people of, an, say, an, an older generation that we could access to talk to about issues. Maybe not directly, but indirectly to get some guidance. Now, a lot of families these days are, are more isolated and if they're not isolated, just feel like, you know, these are issues that they shouldn't share with, with other people or even burden other people. But is it also, Dee, that today we all have access to Dr. G. Oogle and mm -hmm. all of that information is readily available. You know, there's, uh, what is it, MD online and all those sorts uh, of sites. Dr. Google. There are lots of resources available to help us sort out our issues. So why would I need to go and see a real live therapist when I could do it from the comfort of my own home and research it all myself? Mm. That's a really good question because Dr. Google is very popular and it's not highly recommended that you look up Dr. Google for mental health issues because there are just so many variations and so many different situations and, and you have to uh, look at your own individual unique situation um, and you need help to, to look at that, someone that can understand and kind of break it down and, and tease out the main issues. Uh, just seeking, just Googling um, or, or doing a search on Google will give you a very broad brushstroke of maybe you're depressed. Maybe, you know, you, maybe you need to separate. You know, things like that that people go, oh, what do I do now? I guess so, it's the same it's the same as if you've got a physical ailment and you go and type in the symptoms and there are a raft of potential illnesses that could be attributed to it and of course your mind starts racing because all of a sudden you you're faced with all these potential things and rather than actually having a proper diagnosis and I guess the same would be true if you say if you type into Google um communication breakdown with my spouse hmm. um that could raise a whole lot of potential issues and none of them may actually be in reality the, the truth. Or relevant to your situation, exactly. Yeah. So here are some things like if you've exhausted all avenues for discussing your difficulties with your family, friends, colleagues. And um, even partner. Or partner, yeah. I, I guess I consider your partner as family. Um, and you still haven't got any sense of direction to solving your problem. That's an indicator that maybe you need to seek help. 
Um, another one might be if you're feeling worse and worse about the situation as time goes on. So it's not getting better. You know, often, um, you know, just sitting and waiting, sitting with the issue and waiting and seeing what happens can often bring solutions that you weren't even aware of. But if that's not the case and, it, and the situation's getting worse and worse, that's another indicator. Um, if you've tried a few of the strategies that your well-meaning friends have suggested uh, and still nothing is working, that's another indicator. Now, the other thing I'm a big believer in is um, listening to your gut. Not, not the noises that your stomach makes, <laughs> the rumblings, but your gut feeling. Your gut feeling that this issue is bigger than you can manage on your own then um, to me that that's one of the best indicators that it's time to seek help. Um, and, you know, we've talked about before about knowing yourself and being aware of your needs and, and, you know, what you want and being in touch with your body in terms of your, your the reactions within your body is really important. So your gut reaction to the current problem, the current dilemma is something to really watch out for. So Alex, here are some examples because I think we're talking in very general terms. Um, some situations where you may need to seek help. Now, that doesn't mean that you can seek help for any situation and it's not a sign of weakness at all. It's not a sign of defeat or you can't cope. It's actually a sign of strength. And I just wanted to highlight that because um, I think this is a culture shift um, in our society that people are um, viewing help-seeking um, behaviours as a sign of strength more and more. Yeah, well, being vulnerable is actually a sign of strength, allowing yourself to be exposed and grow. Yeah. So an example might be <clears throat> severe ongoing conflict in your intimate relationship. So the, a lot of these examples are that the conflict is perpetuating, it's going on and on and it's not resolving itself. Um, or a growing unhappiness in your career or work situation. You know, this is something that's developing more and more and, you know, no matter what you're doing or who you're talking to, it's not getting better. So this and, is like waking up every morning with a knot in your stomach on a Monday morning? Yeah, yeah, and going... You know, I have to face that job or that person or that situation again and I don't know what to do. Uh, it could be uncertainty about major life decisions like moving house, moving jobs, separating from your partner. Things that are huge changes that you're uncertain about making but you know something needs to happen. Often talking to a professional can help you make those decisions um, more clearly, I guess. Um, the other one is a persistent feeling of melancholy or a lack of motivation or loss of interest in normal activities. Um, and that's a sign that something's not quite right. Something's changing. A growing anxiety about certain situations that, are avoid, that you're avoiding and it's starting to impact on your life. So if you're, you know, avoiding going out to places you would normally go to um, for like social interaction or you're avoiding, you know, family situations, you know, there's always an underlying reason why that 
has changed and it's starting to impact on your life. So essentially any noticeable long-term change in your routines that are indicators of ongoing stress. So these are all times to seek help. Mm. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So who well, do we on, before, go to? Before we get on to who, ah. I, I, yes. what do you do if you realize these facts within yourself? As you say, you, mm. you're feeling the physical impact of this. You discuss this with your partner, you reach out to your partner, and your partner has no interest in going to see anyone and get any outside help. I'm sure that's quite common yeah. where one person is a little bit more open to it and the other one just says, no, nah, no, nah, not interested. How do you deal with that? Ah, yes, that old chestnut. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it's a much more complicated situation. In fact, um, just this week, I, I belong to a number of Facebook groups and I'm part of a relationship group and I won't name it, but um, one of the members posted that exact dilemma on that Facebook page and I responded to her and her dilemma was, my partner is not interested in sex, um, he just uh, doesn't want to talk about it, um, you know, I, I want to... I really love him and I want to fix this, but he, he doesn't want to do anything about it. And what I posted to her was um, that she needs to focus on herself and seek some help for herself. Because if your partner's refusing to seek help, then um, I don't want people to think that they're stuck. And in some ways you are stuck because the relationship is, but you're not. So you've got control over yourself. You can still take control over the situation for yourself, which is great. But the reality of the situation is it may not improve if your partner doesn't want it to improve. Well, this is the thing. Like you can't uh, change another person. And if they're not coming along willingly, then you've got to focus on what you can change and that's yourself. So here's the thing. If, if, if you can go along and seek the help that you need and the kind of help isn't about how do I change my partner, the kind of help that you need to be talking about is um, how can I manage this situation for myself? So might how that be in that example you've just given that that person would have to reevaluate how important that is in light of their whole relationship and if everything else is good and that one element isn't so good, do they just have to compromise and go, well, I'll just have to live without that? Because that doesn't sound like a good outcome either. Well, th this is this is a situation where um, they can build their own inner resources and their strength about um, themselves and um, maybe develop some other interests or develop or, or actually start um, – getting involved in, in areas that maybe they neglected for themselves. So it's really about how can they enjoy their li their own um, life situation given that their partner doesn't participate in certain areas. Mm, but I guess if, the, if, if it's such an important area, that may be the undoing of that relationship. It may be. So it may be a, um, a way of managing coping with the situation in, in – 
the example that I gave with the um, the woman on Facebook, uh, it may be about an acceptance of that's the way it is, and how does she get her own meet, uh, needs met in terms of her sexuality, and exploring that whether the husband participates in that or not. Now I'm not sure what that means, um, but that's something she could explore with a therapist. But it may be the undoing of the relationship where that person, you know, explores whether that uh, the the loss of that part of their relationship is so important to them that they don't want to be without it. Mm. Okay. So it could be it could go either way. Yeah, because I, th- I would think that that's not an uncommon situation that one one person in the relationship is quite open to changing things or, or at least working on it and the other person yeah. isn't. And sometimes what happens, Alex, is that um, if if one the, – the person that's gone to seek help, if they actually grow and develop and they're enjoying, you know, their own interests, they're growing as a person, they're, they're becoming more fulfilled and happy, sometimes that can have a positive side effect on the other partner. And sometimes that other partner can go, oh, I wonder, you know, what, what she's up to and what, what she's doing and um, maybe, maybe you know, I'll join in mm. in terms of going along. And like it, it creates a shift in the dynamic between the two and sometimes uh, partners will respond in a positive way. But these are quite unpredictable, depends on each situation. But ultimately, it comes back to the person that's feeling unfulfilled to seek help to um, find a way to feel happier and more satisfied given that they're in that situation. Mm. Okay, very interesting. So getting back to what we were talking about was who is someone that I should see? What sort of person and what are the qualities that I should be looking for if I'm wanting to seek outside help? So this is a common question because a lot of people don't know the difference between uh, the different types of professionals you could see. And it might be worth talking about that. Yep. So we're talking psychologists, psychiatrists, counsellors, mentors, social workers, um, coaches, life coaches. There's so many different terms that are used. All of the above. All of the above. (laughs) And, you know, often people ask me, this is a really common question, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? And I say they're wages because a psychiatrist <laughs> earns more, much, much more. Um, but obviously they have a medical degree. So the main difference is that psychiatrists can prescribe medications and often it's a psychiatrist that do an assessment for a mental health disorder. And, um, you know, they have the training and the ability to... Um, assess for the severe mental health disorders like um, psychosis and schizophrenia, um, schizophrenia, things like that. But there are some psychiatrists that do counselling as well. So it depends on the person. What's the difference between a counsellor and a therapist or a psychotherapist? Mm. Often people get those confused. Generally, a counsellor has very general training and they often... Um, will focus on goals that you want to reach. And a counsellor is a little bit like a life coach. Yeah. I want to I want to put life coaches in there as well because they seem to be the trend these days. People are, you know, you see a lot of life coach ads 
on on the internet. And a life coach is someone like Tony Robbins, if you've heard of him. Oh yeah, the gigantor shallow, <laughs> shallow hell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so they tend to focus on a goal that you want to reach. So it could be I want to lose weight, or I want to get out of this job and you know find a job or a career that I'm really satisfied and happy in. So it's about um, working on achieving your goals. That's generally what counsellors and life coaches do. Psychotherapy and um, you know psychologists that work a little bit deeper as therapists tend to focus on helping the, the client find out what are the core underlying reasons for those problems so that the problems don't reappear. Each time you change your situation, um, the, the problem won't just appear because it's a new context. Mm-hmm. So a psychotherapist will go deeper and deeper into the original uh, cause core, of yeah, the original cause of that that um, that issue. So really, the core beliefs and the core um, underlying issues, and deal with that, and maybe help undo them. Oh, to stop repetitive patterns occurring. Yeah, exactly. So does that clear it up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. there's there's different levels, there's different uh, wages, there's different uh, degrees involved, and I guess they all serve a different purpose. And uh, I guess many of them could all work in together if you you know yeah. you could be having multiple um, resources that you're accessing. But here in Australia, we're we're lucky. We we have um, what's called the mental health care plan system, where you can go to your GP. And you can actually start with your GP for any of these issues that we talked about before and just to have a discussion with your general practitioner about those issues and they can guide you to the right place as well. So you're saying if I'm having relationship problems, I can go and see my GP and and tell them that I'm not happy or I'm feeling frustrated or whatever and yeah. they can start me on this mental health plan. Yeah, so it's a it's called a mental health care plan. So the government um, has to to its wisdom has um, you know set up this system where you can have up to ten subsidised counselling sessions with a psychologist, and Medicare will give you a rebate of around I don't know eighty four eighty five dollars um, for a one hour session with a psychologist, and ten sessions like. Clearly, it would be good to have more, but it's a, it's a good amount of sessions to be able to, um, you know, make some headway on some issues. So is this um, so? Do would some professionals bulk bill, and then the whole amount is covered, and others wouldn't? Is that yeah, how it works? There are some psychologists that bulk bill, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it's great if you can find those, but predominantly most private psychologists will have a fee and then you'll pay the gap. Mm-hmm. You, you pay the full amount up front generally and then you, you go and claim the, um, the Medicare rebate. Um, so essentially you're paying a gap. So your GP can refer you to a local psychologist that um, hopefully specialises in the area that you're, you've been, you know, talking to them about. Um, the other thing is that we have a lot of online um, phone counselling help services like Lifeline. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have heard of Lifeline, the Kids Helpline for kids. Um, the Men's Line Australia is fantastic for men 
and um, particularly where there's been separation and divorce and they're feeling quite isolated. Uh, we also have um, suicide callback service. Uh, sad that we need that, but we, you know, there is that service. And so there's a lot of phone help as well. Are there any free. specifically for relationship breakdowns or relationship issues? That's a good question. Maybe we should create one mm. called the DNA relationship line. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're busy right yeah. now. So, not look, not that I know of um, because the focus is on children in particular. Yep. And parenting, there's parenting helplines mm-hmm. and suicide. Yeah. Uh, but there's also specific uh, ones around um, the LGBTIQ community as well. So can I ask, should I be relying on the referral that my GP gives or should I be trying to identify my own therapist? Yes, another good question. Alex, you're full of good questions today. I have been told I'm full of it. <laughs> You are sometimes. Uh, well, this is the thing. Like, it's really good idea to ring up and talk to the therapist that you get referred to. Have a conversation with them, and ask them, you know, as many questions as you can. Not necessarily about the details of the session or or, or how they structure their sessions, but more just to get an idea of their personality. Because you need to find a good fit for you, and. Um, so you're know, you saying to do this with the referral that you've got before you've actually seen them, just almost yeah, interview just them, the audition them first? Yeah, 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 I think so. I think, um, you know, you, the GP is doing the best they can by referring, referring you to a local person, but it doesn't mean they're a good fit for you and it doesn't mean they're the right person for you. And look, if that phone call goes really well, I would see the first session as a meet and greet because you're interviewing them for – doing some important work Mm. and we can't just assume that all psychologists um, are, you know, the right person for you or you're the right fit for all psychologists. So it's really good in the first session to go and get a sense of whether it is a good fit. And would you go if the, let's say the first person you get isn't the right fit and you want to go and find one yourself, where would you go? Would you go online and find the Psychologist Association? Would they have a directory? Or where yep. would you – how do you find these uh, therapists? You can go on the APS website, the Australian Psychological Society website. But the thing is, the best way to find a good therapist is to ask your friends. Word of mouth? Word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because all my referrals are word of mouth, almost all, really. Uh, and, you know – it's like anything, if you get a referral about a great chiropractor or a great masseur, um, you know, chances are they're going to be great with you as well. But I would ask around. Ask I guess that's friends. the dilemma, isn't it? Hey, I'm having troubles in my marriage. Who do you know? Yeah, that is the dilemma. But, you know, you this is the thing. Like we we're saying, people are much more open these days to talk about Um, therapists and psychologists and when I see my clients and they say look you know we've we've gotten we got so much out of these sessions um, you know you're amazing (laughs) (laughs) no Um, and I'll say look thank you but or you know could you tell other people because that's you know that that's the best thing that they could do um, and if, if they're if, getting something out of the session. And so if I've, if I've got a referral or if I find someone myself, 
how do I know how good they are? How do I know what mm. qualities they should possess? There's no trip advisor, I guess, for yeah. psychologists or therapists, is yeah. there? Not that I know of. <laughs> you can rate and review your rate therapist. Rate and review your therapist. Mm. Um, look, knowing that... This is why the first session is really important. Uh, just some key things. Knowing that you feel supported by this person, you're listened to and you're understood by the professional. So you don't want you don't want to walk out of that first session going, I didn't feel like they really listened to me. Mm. And, you know, the, the professional was off track. That's not a good feeling, okay? Um, and that they're not railroading you, that they're working with you at, in terms of where you're at with the issue. Because remember, the therapist often can see quite a few steps ahead of where you should be. And it's very tempting as a therapist to guide them directly to that point. <laughs> but if that client, if you're not ready yet, then it's going to feel forced and, and, and pushed and you're pushed in that direction. So if you're feeling railroaded after the first session, that's not a good indicator that they're the right person for you. Mm. Um, the other thing is that in the first session, the therapist should be able to summarize uh, your needs and then give you some indication of the plan. So I'll give an example. Like I'll often say, um, it seems that your past relationship issues keep interfering with your current life. And it may be good to explore those issues in the next session. Are you okay with that? So just to get a sense of, are we on the right track is this the sort of thing you want to work on? So the therapist is working with you. They need to keep checking in with you that they're, that they're on the right track. And most of all, what the other main indicator is, the things that your therapist is saying and doing, does it resonate with you? Does it sit well with you? If it doesn't, they may not be the right one. Can I ask on that point, if yeah. you go as a couple to a counsellor, and you come away from a session feeling that, I felt that that therapist was taking the other person's side. They were more alone. Because I'm sure that happens also, that um, one one person in a couple feels that the therapist sided with them or got them a lot better. And then the, the, um, the other person in the couple is going, you see, I told you so, you see, they agreed with what I said. Mm. So how do you deal with that if one person in the couple is feeling that they didn't quite get what they wanted out of it? Yeah, look, that's a slightly different one because, um, you know, the one-hour session for couples is very, very brief and generally I think couples need an hour and a half minimum. So, the, you know, this is kind of um, giving a bit of credit to the therapist. They may have a plan that you're not aware of. Uh, sometimes, plan. sometimes yes, engaging one of the parties because um, they're the least engaged in the in the process might be part of their therapy. Um, so yeah, that that's something that's a little bit more complicated. And in fact, Alex, it might be good for us to have a session about couples therapy mm. and some some important sort of factors to to look for in a in a good couples therapy session. Um, but the other thing that I would say just about that is if you come away from a counselling session or a couples therapy session and something happened that you weren't happy with, please go back next session and talk about it with your therapist. Be open with your therapist. You know, challenge them because um, 
I think you'll get more out of the session and it, and you might have a little bit of, you might receive some insight as to why they've done what they've done. Mm. Great. Okay. Well, wow. That's a lot to cover off. And it looks like there's many ways to get help and uh, lots of people to get help from. Yeah. And um, yeah, please feel okay about seeking help. It's okay to seek help. We should have a It's Okay to Seek Help Day nationally. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're out of here. <laughs> Bye. See ya. If you like this episode, you can find all our other episodes either on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Better still, subscribe and make sure you're the first to know when a new episode drops. You can also check us out at www.thednaofmindfulrelationships.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to seeing you next time and until then, stay mindful. Stay mindful.